Hi, Ol. How are you? Fine, Sarah. Thanks. <laughs> Great. I'm just going to give you a quick introduction. Ol has a PhD in ecology from the University of Georgia and did a postdoc at Guelph. He worked 17 years for the Canadian Forest Service, including seven years at the former Petawawa National Forest Institute in Chalk River, Ontario, where he became very familiar with the adjacent Chalk River Nuclear Laboratories. Ole moved to Ottawa and worked 12 years for Environment Canada on international biodiversity science and retired in 2012. He's a board member and conservation committee chair with the Sierra Club Foundation of Canada Foundation. He's president of the Ottawa River Institute, which is a local environmental group in the upper Ottawa Valley. And Ola is a researcher for concerned citizens of Renfrew County and area, a volunteer organization that's been working for the cleanup and prevention of radioactive pollution from the nuclear industry in the Ottawa Valley for over 40 years. So amazing, um, Ola, you've done a lot. I'm gonna include links to all of those websites in the about section of this podcast. And um, just give us a background, please, all about um, like where Chalk River is, um, what its watershed is, and, and where it started. Where did it all start? How did it all start? Yeah, Chalk River is right on the Ottawa River and the Ottawa River watershed in Algonquin territory, uh, about 200 kilometers upstream from the nation's capital. Back during World War II, the um, uh, allies were looking for a place to do uh, nuclear weapons research other than Britain, which was under um, threat from Germany and, and uh, other than the U.S., which really didn't want uh, researchers from other countries working at its nuclear facilities. So uh, Chalk River opened up in uh, 1944. They had plans to build uh, two reactors and two uh, chemical separation plants to produce um, uh, plutonium for nuclear weapons and another compound, uranium-233, uh, um, although only one weapon has ever been made out of that particular um, compound. Um, and um, in the early 50s, the mission for Chalk River changed to include also uh, nuclear power research. And Canada became one of the leading countries in that area. Um, but unfortunately, in 1952, there was a major meltdown. Um, the, the largest uh, research reactor, the NRX of its time, had a really serious accident at Chalk River, had to be dismantled, towed away, buried, and, and it was rebuilt right on site in about 18 months, which was a pretty amazing thing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, there's quite the checkered history. Those two chemical separation plants both had major accidents. The um, plutonium production work continued into the uh, 60s. They shipped plutonium down to the US for, for the Cold War nuclear weapons program. Um, Wow. And when did, does Canada still create plutonium for American weapons? No, that that has stopped. And, and Canada, by virtue of really being the only um, country that got into plutonium but did not uh, su subsequently make nuclear weapons, um, played some important roles in 
uh, international bodies that are supposed to uh, limit the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Though we're really, I think, failing uh, to, uh, we're losing our leadership or really have lost our leadership internationally in that area, unfortunately, in recent years. Going forward a little bit in time, um, when did, at Chalk River, did they expand into the radioisotopes for medical research? Yeah, that gradually happened throughout the 60s and, and 70s uh, to the point when the what was called the NRU reactor, the second um, uh, big reactor at Chalk River, became the world's largest uh, source of some of the most important uh, medical isotopes like molybdenum. Uh, 99. And that reactor uh, was about the oldest one in the world when it was finally shut down in March uh, 2018. So um, Chalk River has no operating major uh, reactors at this point and is no longer in the uh, medical isotope business, but still has very large quantities of, of problematic medical isotope waste, which are essentially high level uh, liquid and solid waste um, that uh, are awaiting a disposal plan. Oh, so so this stuff has been going on for decades now and there's still no waste plan? That's correct. There, there must be something. Uh, <laughs> the liquid waste um, has mostly been, or all been shipped back to the US because it had uh, highly enriched uh, uranium in solution along with the fission products. Um, so the U.S. accepted the return of that liquid waste, but a lot of waste was um, mixed with, um, was solidified, and that remains on site. And no, there isn't a plan for, for dealing with it. It's very problematic. Um, and, and I was just interviewing, I believe it was Ann Lindsay, and she was saying that, um, that, that the high-level waste from... Um, sorry, not Petawawa, from um, Pinawa, Manitoba, Manitoba yeah. had been shipped to Chalk River. So even though Chalk River doesn't have a plan for their various types of waste, they're accepting waste from a different experimental reactor. The government hired private companies, a consortium of uh, US, uh, UK, and Canadian companies in 2015 to operate all its nuclear facilities and in theory to reduce its $8 billion uh, waste um, liability. So those companies have been busily shipping uh, waste from all other federal uh, reactor sites like the White Shell um, facility in Manitoba, the uh, Douglas Point facility in Southern Ontario, the Jean T facility in Baconcourt, Quebec near Trois-Rivières. So all that waste is being consolidated at, at Chalk River. Now, Anne Lindsay um, may have better information about the fact that the actual high level, the most problematic uh, waste, the waste fuel rods have already started um, arriving at, at uh, Chalk River. It's the government and the uh, companies that run Chalk River have been extremely secretive and refusing to release any information about that, unfortunately. Okay, well, so, so there's a lot of movement of different types of nuclear waste from various types of reactors, some of them experimental, um, and, and 
who is tracking, what, what government organization is tracking the movement of nuclear waste um, from community to community in our country? There's really no clear tracking of waste movement um, uh, in Canada. The, the regulator, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, does not do that. It's the responsibility of waste owners um, and generators just to track uh, waste movements. There are no formal regulations at all. What is currently going on at Chalk that concerns you and the organizations that you work with? Three major concerns. Uh, waste shipments from all over Canada, from other federal facilities, and from the nuclear industry. Uh, Chalk River is Canada's only commercial nuclear waste storage facility. Um, second, plans for permanent disposal and abandonment of waste in a giant mound one kilometer from the river that would not um, remain intact anywhere near the uh, length of uh, the hazard of the waste that would be put into it. And third, uh, a proposed new small modular uh, reactor uh, at Chalk River. What can you tell us about the SMR, the small modular reactor that's planned there? Do you, do you know who, um, like what company owns the design or what's been approved so far? The design is from a Seattle-based company, UltraSafe Nuclear Incorporated, which has a partnership with Ontario Power Generation. It's a high temperature uh, gas-cooled uh, graphite moderated reactor, a, a rather risky uh, design that is not being used commercially uh, anywhere that I'm aware of at present. Hmm. So it sounds like a giant experiment. That's what they've done for years at Chalk River. Yeah, it is. A, it's basically an experimental facility that that sounds like it's already got some pretty serious waste problems. Um, is there any evidence of of radioactive waste already leaking into the watershed? Uh, waste management areas A, B, C, the liquid dispersal area all have. Um, plumes of substances like strontium-90, carbon-14, and tritium migrating in an uncontrolled fashion into wetlands, lakes, and streams that drain into the Ottawa River. The Perch Lake Basin, um, which receives uh, discharges from waste management areas A, B, and the liquid dispersal area is particularly contaminated. Is there evidence of things like strontium-90 and tritium reaching Ottawa? The city of Ottawa? Uh -huh. um, sometimes uh, tritium has been detected in fairly high levels. It's been a while since the um, city of Ottawa uh, found a particularly high spike in tritium. Um, but certainly uh, reaching the Ottawa River, oh yes, the the uh, freshwater mussels at near the mouth of Perch 
uh, Creek uh, have pretty high strontium 90 levels and, and tritium is, is uh, elevated um, in the river uh, downstream, uh, basically all the way to Ottawa. Um, and who is keeping track of those levels, Bull? Who, 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 who measures this and how often and do you trust them? Uh, the city of Ottawa measures tritium on a weekly basis. Um, I think there are measurements um, in Petawawa, the closest uh, major uh, town in Ontario, and in Pembroke, the next town downstream. Um, and uh, the, the, chalk, uh, the Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, that is, uh, they do some measurements as well. Okay. And so um, please tell our listeners a little bit about strontium-90 and tritium and that other one you mentioned. Why are they dangerous? Uh, uh, strontium-90 is a, um, a beta emitter, but also a, it breaks down and becomes a gamma emitter as well. Um, basically, all those are dangerous, carbon-14, strontium, and 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 tritium because they can get into your bodies and become internal emitters um, and um, and damage your DNA and right. and cause cancer and also get um, past genetic damage onto future generations. And how long do they, um, what are their like, I've heard this term half-life before, I'm not sure I entirely understand it, but how long do they exist in the environment for these elements? Yeah, yeah, tritium has a 12-year half-life, meaning that uh, half of the tritium has actually converted into helium after 12 years. Um, uh, strontium-90 is longer. It's around 30 years. And carbon-14 is much, much longer, around 5,300 years. But those are some of the actually shorter-lived um, uh, waste at Chalk River. There, there are uh, lots of other both fission products and and things like uranium, plutonium, uh, technetium that have much, much, you know, thousand, hundred thousand year half-lives. Because you're you're kind of an expert around being involved with different organizations, um, and you've already mentioned that it's really hard to get information, particularly around the transportation of this waste. Um, do you have any advice for listeners if they do want to get involved or if they do have, you know, some form of the nuclear industry in their community um, about maybe how to go about gaining information from the government or how to go about relaying that information to citizens? Yeah, our group has over the years, I mean, getting information is, is important and empowering, but uh, we've basically concluded that um, Canada needs an independent uh, radioactive waste authority, a body that isn't run by the nuclear industry or and doesn't report to government bodies like Natural Resources Canada um, that have a mandate to promote the, and the nuclear industry. So we would really like to see that as an issue in the current election. We would like citizens to say, yeah, it makes sense that there's some independent body that provides 
authoritative, credible information about waste and, and looks after the government's own waste and, and all the waste that's being uh, generated by the nuclear power industry, including uh, Ontario Power Generation and New Brunswick Power, the two utilities that operate reactors. You know, the government will say, oh, we have the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, but it's actually run by those utilities. It's not independent. And it actually only has a mandate to look at the high level spent fuel rods, which may contain most of the radiation, but by but only a small proportion of all the radioactive waste, the intermediate and so-called low-level waste, which is also hazardous and poses long-term risks to human health and the environment. So we need a body that, that does all of the waste types and does it independently of the industry. Yeah, and, and it sounds like in many ways um, that is kind of happening just from the citizen angle, um, that you guys are doing your best to try to organize without any sort of government assistance whatsoever. Um, I just want to go back one quick time before I let you go, um, all and, and just talk a little bit more about the, um, the plan for a small modular reactor at Chalk River, um, because you hear a lot about small modular reactors being planned for our country. Um, Darlington, Point Lepro, very small ones around the north. There's one planned for Pinawa. Um, and the, the one that's planned for chalk, what is the timeline? Um, how do citizens, are they allowed to make depositions about, about how the citizens feel about it? It's the first, it's a very small one. Um, you know, the, the actual power rating might be something like uh, five, uh, megawatts compared to a thousand megawatt, uh, Darlington reactor. That being said, it's it's actually in the process of being uh, licensed by the by the regulator. Um, we've heard that an environmental impact statement could be released as soon as this fall. Um, we've heard that local indigenous uh, groups have asked for a delay in in the process um, because. Um, they haven't been properly consulted on this. It's in their traditional unceded territory. Um, but but this particular one promoted by Ontario Power Generation is is the first to, to go into formal licensing by the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. But it's a very odd licensing process where, where they split it up and they say, oh, this is just a site uh, preparation license. So we're not going to get all the details about uh, oh, what would, how would it be decommissioned? What would happen to the waste eventually? How long might it, it run before, before it shuts down? So, so it's a, um, we don't feel that the regulator is being particularly transparent about all these proposed new reactors. Yeah, and it sounds like this high temp gas cooled graphite um, plan with ultra safe um, is still just in the design phase anyway. Am I correct? We don't have lots of information, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so they so they approve one thing when they don't even know what the next thing even looks like yet. Exactly. And is there a money trail? Is is ultra safe? Like does OPG? Is, are the taxpayers paying into this experiment? Do you know? Is there any way to track that? Very difficult. 
Um, the taxpayers give Atomic Energy of Canada Limited, and we should mention ACL because they mm -hmm. actually are quote unquote the owners, and they are the contractors. They of the private companies that own Canadian nuclear laboratories. So um, it's on quote unquote AECL property and AECL gives Canadian nuclear laboratories about a billion dollars a year um, uh, of which about two thirds is supposed to go for cleanup. And the other two other one third seems to be used by CNL for things like supporting small modular reactor research. So we don't have much clarity about how much taxpayer money is going into something like this ultra safe MMR, but it's um, would be built on federal property. Um, the, the, the waste would end up on federal property. So there's no question that um, the taxpayers are gonna be on the hook for a lot of uh, that particular project. Yeah, and I just learned um, a couple days ago that AECL is actually owned by SNC Lavalin. No, that's no. AECL is is still a, a tiny, tiny Crown Corporation that was started in 1952. It's been around mm -hmm. for a long time, but AECL spun off this quote unquote subsidiary in 2014 called Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, and then one year later in 2015 all the shares of CNL were given to these consortium companies, some in the US, some in Britain, and some in um, Canada. And the companies that are now members of that consortium, it keeps changing and changing, are mm -hmm. S&C-Lavalin, Floor, which is in Texas, and um, Jacobs, which is in Texas. And Floor and Jacobs are very much involved with um, running nuclear weapons labs in, in the U.S. and the U.K. Yeah, and CNL stands for Canadian Nuclear Labs. That was fascinating. Um, I think I might have to just go back and re-listen to that part <laughs> several times, all. <laughs> I'm really glad we got to that right at the end um, because following that money trail and the names of these organizations as they split off um, and become more difficult to track is, um, is, is kind of a frightening piece of the puzzle. I'm, I'm very grateful for this interview. Thank you so much, Ola. Yes, well, thank you. And uh, we, we can talk again. And uh, as I say, it could be, um, you could talk about Chalk River for, for weeks and not, not cover everything. Wow, wow, it's been, it's been an experimental site for, for a very long time. Thank you very much, Ola. You're very welcome, Sarah. Take okay, care. we'll talk soon. Bye. Mm -hmm, bye.